if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And you got to push that button to get rid of that echo for me, if you would, please. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. And we are underway on this free for all Friday edition of The Authority. It is the 19th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord. 2021. Thank you so much for being here. We got a ton of news to discuss today, and I've got plenty of opportunity for you to do it again on a free for all basis. You decide the topic and you call when you're ready to call, and we will talk about it, whatever your topic might be. That's the beauty of free for all. I do have two guests who will be on the schedule coming up in about a half an hour. We are going to talk about the judiciary. How about that? We don't often talk, we talk all the time about executives. Uh, such as um, uh, Governor Mike DeWine. We talk all the time about legislative, legislative issues and legis- legislatures, easy for me to say. Uh, we talk about that all the time, but we never talk about exec or talk about judges, rather. And today we're going to, as we talk with Sharon Kennedy. Uh, I am so very much looking forward to this. There are judicial races that matter, and there are judicial appointments that matter, and we need to talk about the approach to fixing our republic or healing that which ails us from the benches as well. So uh, uh, we're going to talk with Sharon Kennedy coming up at 9.35. Then... At 10.35, we will talk with Christina Hagan, former state representative. There's that legislative side again. She'll be joining us for commentary on the day's top stories, as she does each and every Friday. So before, between, and after uh, those two interviews, your calls are welcome at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Now, having said all of that, I want to start our day, as I do each and every program, with the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, I get messages all the time from people thanking me for the pledge, saying it's a great thing to do. Uh, it's a reminder of you know what patriotism is all about, and they, they really appreciate that I do it. And many of those people say, by the way, have you ever heard Red Skelton and his breakdown of the Pledge of Allegiance word by word? And I have said to everybody... I have said to everybody that I could that, yes, of course, I have heard it, and uh, I have played it in the past, in, in fact, uh, and I have. And I've also heard variations of it done by other people, including um, the late Charlie Daniels, a country music legend, Devil Went Down to Georgia and all the rest. Um, 
And I said, I've played these things before, and I will play them again. I feel like today is a good day to do that. I feel like just because it's a free-for-all Friday day, and I have not done it since I started playing the pledge on a daily basis. Uh, so I wanted to do that. This is the Charlie Daniels version. It's a little shorter. Red Skelton's version goes around four minutes, four and a half minutes. Um, Charlie Daniels is about two and a half, but nonetheless, it does uh, it does um, give us the opportunity to pay respect to our country with a real deep, thoughtful um, explanation of the Pledge of Allegiance. So please settle in for the next two and a half minutes and enjoy. All right. Come on, Charlie. We're waiting for you now, buddy. We're still waiting. I've been listening to you boys and girls recite the Pledge of Allegiance all semester, and it seems as though it's becoming monotonous to you. May I recite it and try to explain to you the meaning of each word? I, me, an individual, a committee of one, pledge, dedicate all my worldly goods to give without self-pity. Allegiance, my love and my devotion. To the flag, our standard, old glory, a symbol of freedom. Wherever she waves, there's respect, because your loyalty has given her a dignity that shouts, freedom is everybody's job. United, that means that we've all come together. States, individual communities that have united into 48 great states, 48 individual communities with pride and dignity and purpose, all divided with imaginary boundaries, yet united to a common purpose, and that's love for country. And to the Republic, a state in which sovereign power is invested in representatives chosen by the people to govern. And government is the people, and it's from the people to the leaders, and not from the leaders to the people, for which it stands one nation. One nation meaning so blessed by God, indivisible, incapable of being divided, with liberty, which is freedom, the right of power to live one's own life without threats, fear, or some sort of retaliation, and justice, the principle or quality of dealing fairly with others, for all, which means, boys and girls, it's as much your country as it is mine. Since I was a small boy, two states have been added to our country, and two words have been added to the Pledge of Allegiance under God. Now, wouldn't it be a pity if someone said that's a prayer and that it would be eliminated from schools, too? God bless America. What a glorious tribute to both the United States of America and to the original uh, breakdown word by word of the Pledge of Allegiance done by Red Skelton. Just uh, just phenomenal. So uh, thank you to Charlie uh, uh, Daniels. Rest in peace, rest in power, rest in patriotism, good sir, uh, for leaving us that. All right. Uh, having said all of that, let's get to the news of the day. Speaking of glorious things to hear, I want to start with yesterday. Uh, I, I, you know, I have had my differences with Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul from Tennessee before, but I got to tell you, the more and more I hear him speak on issues related to COVID nineteen, and more importantly, on issues related to the um, the uh, protocols and the restrictions and the lockdowns and the responses of COVID nineteen, the more I listen to him, the more I love him. 
Rand Paul yesterday had a one-on-one showdown with the Grand Poobah. The Poobah of epidemiology, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the highest paid federal government worker in America. They pay this old coot over $500,000 a year to be wrong about COVID-19 and everything associated with it. To flip and flop on masking versus no masking, on distancing versus no distancing. For crying out loud, nine months ago, this guy said that the rest of us should never shake hands again. Forget about Forget about the pandemic, but we should just totally eliminate the idea of shaking hands with one another because it's so easy to pass germs. This guy. Anyway, Rand Paul yesterday had a one-on-one in a Senate committee hearing with uh, with uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and this is how he started it. Welcome to day 367 of 15 days to slow the spread. I just want to stop right there and soak that part in. Welcome to day 367 of 15 days to slow the spread. Exactly correct, Senator Paul. Proponents of the economic lockdowns promised it would be just 15 days to flatten the curve. Instead of 15 days, the lockdown has now gone on for over a year. Early on in the pandemic, as we all remember, there were projections that hospitals would be full and have to turn away people. Medical equipment was in short supply. Businesses were closing. What they hoped would be on a temporary basis as government started locking down their economies and telling people to stay home. At that time, when programs like PPP were created, no one was under the belief that we would still be doing this a year later, with no end in sight. And yet, here we sit, a year later, and there really is no end in sight. You might say, what do you mean? Cases are down. Businesses are reopening. Some states have eliminated their uh, their protocols altogether. What do you mean there's, there's no end in sight? Well, there is never going to be an end to tyranny in sight as long as tyranny is allowed to exist. And it is still allowed to exist. And when you allow the tyrants to dictate the terms of those protocols and those procedures based on their own feelings, not with evidence, but based on their own feelings, then this will never be over. Even if this pandemic ends, it, big picture, will never be over. And that is exactly what Senator Rand Paul wanted to drive home to Dr. Anthony Fauci yesterday. And he did so, talking about how we need evidence before you go ahead and issue new orders, rather than just your own feelings or your own theater. What study shows significant reinfection, hospitalization, and death after either natural infection or the vaccine? It doesn't exist. There is no evidence that there are significant reinfections after vaccine. In fact, I don't think we have a hospitalization in the United States after the two-week period after the second vaccination. Yeah, you have a death in the United States. You're not hearing what I'm saying about variants. We're talking about wild-type versus variants. And what now, proof re- is there, what proof is there that there are significant reinfections with hospitalizations and death from the variants? None in our country. Zero. Well, because we don't have a prevalent of a variant yet. We're having one Can I finish? We're no, having 117 that's becoming more dominant. Policy based on conjecture. No, you it, have the It isn't based on conjecture. So you some you want people to wear a mask for another couple of years. No. You've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks for show. 
No. You can't get it again. There's almost, there's virtually 0% chance you're going to get it. And yet you're telling people with them that have had the vaccine, who have immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask to have been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science right. to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. Okay. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever. People don't want to hear it. There's no science behind it. May, may I just add to that great point by, um, uh, by Senator Rand Paul? And I love the line, by the way. You are wearing two masks just for show. May I, may I just respond with this? Standing ovation. And I want to hear it again, as a matter of fact. That was so worth my time. I want to hear it again, the part uh, particularly about the wearing the mask for theater and for show. Can I finish? We're having one one seven that's becoming more dominant. Policy based on conjecture. No, you it, have the it isn't based on conjecture. So you some you want people to wear a mask for another couple of years. No, you've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks for show. No, you can't get it again. There's almost there's virtually zero percent chance you're going to get it. And yet you're telling people with them that have had the vaccine who have immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask to have been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever people don't want to hear it there's no science behind it he is a thousand percent right there's no science behind the notion that you could get reinfected after having naturally in become infected or by getting the vaccination and if you can get reinfected after vaccination then the acknowledgement must be made that the vaccine doesn't work Now, I am not here to tell you not to get the vaccine. That's not my business. It is your business. Do your own homework. If you decide this is the right thing to do for you and yours, have at it. I'll even help you set it up. I'll tell you to go to Discount Drug Mart, get your name on the list, schedule an appointment, go get it. I'm not going to tell people what to do. That's the beauty of liberty. You can choose your own medical care. And in that spirit... It should be up to each of us to choose our own medical care and our own medical precautions when it comes to masks. There's zero evidence to suggest that if you get vaccinated or become naturally immune, that you are going to get sick or get infected or be able to infect other people again. It flies in the face of all uh, uh, history, medical history, as Dr. Rand Paul. Remember, he's a doctor, too. It flies in the face of all history of immunizations. You become immune when you get a virus like this or when you get a vaccination. And if you are not immune after that vaccination, then it means the vaccination didn't work and you've been lied to anyway. All right, a lot of ground to cover there. I want to hear from you at 216-901-0945, 1110 It's 920. This is The Authority. Right back. Can't get on the air with Bob? Leave a message, 216-525-1806. 
Yeah, the authority message line I really love. I get great messages from people all the time, and uh, sometimes we'll play them on the air and respond to them. So uh, by all means, make use of that. When we are on the air, however, dial the on-air line, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I was having a conversation with, uh, this morning uh, about uh, Joe Biden and his phony victory lap. Did you hear his victory lap speech? Joe Biden is taking credit for the vaccination of America. Joe Biden is taking credit for defeating COVID-19, if it is indeed defeated. I want you to listen to this for a moment, and then I'll respond to it, because there are some things that have to be said here. It's uh, how this guy is able to look at himself in the mirror uh, and, and, you know, and, and go on with his day uh, feeling proud of himself just by being such a shameful, uh, disgusting liar is, is beyond my understanding. But I want you to listen to Joe Biden's phony victory lap speech here. I'm administering... 100 million shots for the virus in the first 100 days of our office. 100 million shots in 100 days. It was considered uh, ambitious. Some even suggested it was somewhat audacious. Experts said that it was uh, the plan was, quote, definitely aggressive. And distribution would have to be seamless for us to be successful. One headline simply put it, Quote, it won't be easy, end of quote. Well, it wasn't. All right, I've, I've got to stop it there just to point out the obvious. No one said it was ambitious to get 100 million shots in 100 days. No one said it was audacious. And no one said it was definitely aggressive. You want to know why? Because it was already being done before this simpleton took over. In the days before the January 20th inauguration, the vaccines were already reaching the arms of a million people per day. And this, after the vaccine rollout, made it before Christmas, which Donald Trump told everyone it would, was laughed at routinely. They said it won't be ready until by the end of 2021. It takes a good 12 to 18 months to put this thing together. It was done by Christmas, and it was getting rolled out into the arms of hundreds of thousands and eventually over a million a day by the time Joe Biden even took over. So all Biden had to do was just keep it going. Let what is happening happen. And now he's taking credit for this audacious, ambitious, aggressive goal of 100 million shots and 100 million arms in 100 days. It was already being done, you doofus. When I took office, when we took office, there was a lot that had to be done. We needed more vaccines, more vaccinators, more places for people to get vaccinated. And we needed a whole-of-government approach. So I directed Jeff Zients, the coordinator of our COVID-19 response, to put us on a war footing. And I meant that in a literal sense. To get us on track to truly beat this virus. Here is Joe Biden's war footing. You ready? He put his feet up on his desk. That's it. That's all Joe Biden did to go on quote-unquote war footing to defeat the virus. He put his feet up on the desk and allowed what Trump had started to continue. Now, are we vaccinating more than a million a day now like we were at the end of Trump's term? Yes. Why is that? Is it because Biden waved some sort of a magic wand and did war footing? 
Or is it that, mm, I don't know, since uh, uh, President Trump left office, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine became available and approved, which Joe Biden had also nothing to do with. Operation Warp Speed was put in place with an unprecedented partnership between public and private uh, organizations. In other words, between the federal government and the pharmaceutical companies, Moderna and Pfizer, and yes, Johnson & Johnson. That's what Warp Speed was. They worked literally around the clock with extra funding from the federal government and support from the federal government science agencies. They worked around the clock to develop this faster than anybody thought it could be done. Trump did that. All Biden had to do was sit back and let the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines continue to come off the assembly line. And hey, look at that. Johnson & Johnson is ready now. Theirs come off the assembly line. And so we can, we can vaccinate even more people every day. So, again, I'm not telling you the vaccine is the greatest thing in the world, and I'm not telling you that you should, you should hide, hide from it either. If you are of a mind to get the vaccine, that's fine. Like I said, I'll even tell you where to go to do it. But for Joe Biden to claim that he came in and did something different than what Donald Trump did to defeat this virus is just an out-and-out, bald-faced lie. All he had to do was come in and say, okay, masks, check, Social distance, check. Get people's shots in their arms, check. That was already being done under President Donald Trump. Joe Biden did zero differently. And now he wants to take a victory lap. Give me a break, you decrepit, senile, old fool. Why don't you go talk to President Harris again? Maybe she'll explain it to you. Because, yes, he once again referred to Kamala as President Harris. All right, 931 News Time now. Right back, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 937, good free-for-all Friday to you. Thanks for being with us. So as I said in the opening of the show, we talk all the time about the uh, executive branch, and we usually largely complain about the executive branch in the state of Ohio anyway. And we talk about the legislature and what they are or are not doing. We very rarely talk about the third branch of our government, which, of course, is the judiciary. And uh, there is an important election coming up in 2022, particularly in the Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, Associate Justice Sharon Kennedy is running for re-election. She has to win. She must win. There's no, there's no if, ands, or buts here because not just what she brings to the table, which we'll talk about in a second, but the fact that if she loses, uh, we're only one, uh, lost election away from losing control of the Ohio Supreme Court. And when I say we, I'm talking about those who believe in constitutional, uh, this constitutional republic and this, uh, constitutional state of Ohio. If the Democrats get control of the Supreme Court, all bets could be off in much the same way they uh, were in jeopardy in the at the federal election level. Now, of course, in the feds or at the federal level, the uh, appointments are made by the president. Here, you've got to make the appointment by voting for whom you think would best serve this this state uh, in the uh, Supreme Court. So joining us now is uh, current and incumbent uh, Justice Sharon Kennedy on AM 1420, The Answer. Justice Kennedy, good to have you on our program. How are you? Well, good morning, and thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. 
It's a pleasure, um, and you know it, it is so important. I I, I don't want to be too redundant here, but we don't pay a ton of attention to judicial races, you know, because in many cases, you know, particularly in the lower courts, you know, uh, judges are not allowed to run by party anyway. They're nonpartisan at all. But at the Supreme Court level where you are, you can proudly say I'm a Republican running for Supreme Court, right? Well, currently the law applies to all members of the judiciary and the ethics rules frown upon us identifying ourselves as Republican or Democrat after the party primaries. Right now, pending in the Ohio House and Senate are bills where appellate judges across Ohio would begin to appear on the general election ballot with a designation of party affiliation. We have long run in partisan primaries, but that designation falls off in the general election, and there's a movement to at least uh, put party affiliation behind appellate judges in the general election. Yeah, I I think I would back such a movement, and not just for appellate judges, but really any judicial races, because I want to know what affiliation that that a judge has, because largely, while there is, you know, you can't say that if you are a Democrat, you believe everything A through Z, and if you're a Republican, this is your ideology A through Z, if you affiliate with that, with either particular party, we kind of know where they stand, and that can impact, um, you know, how we feel uh, about, you know, putting these people behind the bench and and putting the safety and the security and the legality of our of our you know of our state um, in the wrong hands. I I kind of wonder why we can't run on a partisan basis and actually identify with a particular party. So the Ohio Constitution is the first driver of election of judges. When we were first a state in 1803, the General Assembly and the governor made appointments to the judiciary. And in 1851, the Constitutional Convention, this snippet of the debates regarding the people electing their judges is very small, and I would encourage everyone to get a copy and read it. And they were really arguing that we have long endured in democracy, and we understand what it means to elect our leaders. And so today we choose to elect those who will serve us as judges as well. The Constitution frames that from 1851, but it's statutes that actually then set up this, this system where in a primary we appear on partisan primary ballots, and then it goes away in the general. Many people, this is the great debate, It becomes that conversation of, should we really politicize judges with party affiliation because as they take the bench, they're not supposed to represent a party platform. I am not going to move forth any of the issues that the Republican Party has. But going to the first thing that you said, if I may interrupt, um, uh, Justice Kennedy, yeah. um, I, you're right. Obviously, you're not supposed to represent a party when you're making decisions on 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 uh, matters that come before the court. But yet we refer to, at least at the United States Supreme Court level, the, quote, conservative wing and the liberal wing. And it's been that way for decades and decades and decades. It may not be the Republican wing or the Democrat wing, but typically speaking, appointees of Republican presidents have been the conservatives and appointees of the Democrat presidents have been more liberal in their uh, in their evaluations and in the, the votes that they have made uh, uh, on the court. So while we don't necessarily 
you know, want to say you're going to make a decision based on Republican or Democrat affiliation, you are going to do it based on ideology, or at least historically that's been the case. When I think that becomes the driving fact of why people are looking at the question, because you have really gotten to the heart of the issue. Really, it comes to this question of what is your judicial philosophy? And those who come from the Republican side of the aisle will say that they believe in judicial restraint. It's the great Reagan debate quote when he swore in Chief Justice Rehnquist and Antonin Scalia as an associate justice, is we believe in judicial restraint so that the republic can live. And what that means is you're the voice. You and all your listeners, you're the voice of government because you get to shape the law through the General Assembly, where those who identify as activist judges believe that given a time and a policy and a place that they should actually mold the law into what is required for the day. And that becomes the divide. But really the heart of affiliating R's or D's on a ballot is if you believe that this will lead to greater transparency, integrity, and honesty in the vote, then you have to question why the General Assembly is stopping only at appellate judges. Going to your first point, if they're going to do this, you'd want it for every judge so that you know walking in what side of that ledger you believe their philosophy flows from. Yeah, that is that is exactly right. And again, I I don't believe in just voting a slate. You know, when people go to vote, we're talking, if you just turn the radio on, with uh, Ohio Supreme Court Associate Justice Sharon Kennedy. I don't believe in just voting a slate. Oh, here's all the R's. Check, check, check. Here's all the D's. I really don't. But I do believe in giving people a little, a little bit of an idea that they may or may not have, because you guys don't get to run the same kinds of campaigns, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, executive office or, or legislative office seekers uh, run. Um, you know, you're not heavily funded. You can't take money from other organizations and so forth. So how do I find out what this person's all about? I don't know a ton. Well, at least I know they're a Republican, and as such, are probably more in, uh, more likely to be, you know, tough on crime and tough on security and protecting innocent people, rather than you know getting rid of cash bail and getting rid of, uh, uh, you know, uh, all these other things. In other words, making making it easier for criminals to be criminals and to be set free. I want somebody who's tougher on crime, and I might be able to identify that only with an R or only with a D, depending on what your point of view is. And that and that's one of the reasons why I just kind of feel like it should be for every uh, every judicial uh, position. Well, that's the current debate that's being held in the General Assembly, and clearly you and your listeners have the ability to call their representative at the House and the Senate and weigh in on this very issue as those bills work through the chambers. But that issue of how different judicial elections are could not be truer. I can't talk about a party platform because I can't move a party platform. I can't tell the electors what I'm going to do for them, because I'm not going to do anything for them other than sit and partially and fairly judge a case from a perspective of judicial philosophy of restraint. When you talk about a snoozer to start talking about those kinds of topics, it doesn't really resonate because they don't, they don't understand it. They understand what they want in a, in a jurist, but they don't really understand how that transcends. And let's be honest. How many people are going to sit down and start reading all of the cases that you have authored, whether that's for a majority, a concurrence, or a dissent, to try and get a feel for who you truly are in your judicial philosophy? It's much harder to know who judges are 
as individuals and as thinkers in the bench. Well, that's where I come in because nobody's going to read your 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 uh, official uh, um, uh, decisions or dissents. Nobody is going to is going to take the time to do that, or at least unless you're a law school student and or a law geek and really you know is is into that sort of thing. So I come in and I say, Justice Kennedy, tell us about your judicial philosophy. Tell us about why uh, you should be reelected to the, the Ohio Supreme Court. Well, in 2022, Ohioans have three seats up for grabs at the Ohio Supreme Court. Um, Justices Fisher and DeWine seek reelection for their seats, and then there is an open Chief Justice seat. So for me, having just won a new term of six years on November of 2020, I am seeking to seek the endorsement of the Ohio Republican Party to run for chief. That being said, as you're setting up, what does that really mean for the people? We're a seven-member court. And yes, it's a 4-3 majority Republicans to Democrats if they're keeping that by way of scorecard. But really, for me, it comes down to judicial philosophy. You can say that, look at the United States Supreme Court, for example, there have been justices appointed by Republican presidents who are believed to honor that limited role in government of applying the law as it's written. And I believe that citizens and presidents have been disappointed when that justice becomes an activist. To me, that is where we're really in jeopardy of losing the republic, of your voice. If you have worked with a group of individual citizens and have passed a law and a measure through the Ohio House and Senate and it's signed into the law by the governor, even if Sharon Kennedy, the person, the taxpayer, doesn't like that law, when that comes to me as a justice, I don't have the right to meddle with it. I don't have the right to strike it down because I don't like it. I don't have a right to change the words because I disagree with you. As long as the law that you have had and acted is constitutional, my obligation to you in the shape of the republic the founders gave us is for a, to, to allow your voice to live, to allow, allow your law to go into effect as it's written and to give it the effect that the words are based on. That's the whole conversation about restraint. We're talking with Ohio Supreme Court Associate Justice Sharon Kennedy. Um, can you give me your opinion on the issue of criminal justice reform? I think this is something that should be asked of every every judge or judicial candidate. Um, and you can approach it from just the Ohio aspect if you wish, but obviously this was a big deal uh, under former President Trump. Uh, getting criminal justice reform passed, there were a lot of changes, changes that were made to the system. Uh, do you believe we need more reform here in the state of Ohio, or do you think, hey, that's not my business, Whatever laws are passed are passed at the legislature, at the assembly, and I will just interpret the uh, the Ohio Revised Code and our Ohio Constitution and the United States Constitution as it's put before me. I believe as a judge or justice, you can impact criminal justice reform within your court, within the boundaries of your oath. It isn't about ignoring a statute or changing the, the language of the statute, but it's about doing the things we can do. All of us agree, regardless of what poll you read, what side of the aisle people vote from, everybody agrees 
that we need to find answers, alternatives to mass incarceration. I call the criminal justice system the system of last resort. I, you will likely enter in the criminal justice system when all other governmental systems fail. And I can say that because having been a police officer, a criminal defense attorney, a trial court judge, and now a justice, I've seen the justice system from all sides. I've walked those hallways of the courthouse wearing many different hats. But as a trial court judge and even a justice, you can work on things that help change the issue of mass incarceration or, or criminal justice reform. We lead in substance abuse courts and mental health courts, dual diagnosis courts for the mentally ill and those who suffer from substance addiction, moving the issue of veterans treatment courts and finding a way to break cyclical poverty. To me, these are the kinds of issues that judges can attack and should. And if you believe that we should not be incarcerating the mentally ill or those who are suffering from addiction, not drug traffickers, but those who are suffering from addiction, then you would be on the side of treatment courts. You would be on the side of judges using a treatment team to try to break the underlying issue. The criminal act is really a symptom of the underlying issue or problem, which is mental health or addiction. When you look at that, even in the Veterans Treatment Court, it's still that same wraparound model. They're coming into our system, having been suffering from um, substance abuse, addiction as a result of self-medication, PTSD, mm -hmm. depression, all of those things that come with engaging in warfare. When they find our system into it, then we have to do something to treat it. But equally, if you believe that we should be doing that, to find alternatives to mass incarceration, then we also as judges need to look at the out the back end of that system as well. We have very few reentry courts here in Ohio, whether they're being released from judicial release, parole, or they've timed out, our system lacks as it relates to reentry services. I was just in Cleveland meeting with a group of individuals who are living the life reform. They are now formerly incarcerated and hearing the struggles of getting basic needs met. That's their struggle every day. Hearing what we can do as a system. I believe in criminal justice reform. When, we're, when we as judges are focusing on fixing the aspect of what's broken in the person. I think that's what people want us to do. I think that's a very uh, well-articulated point, and it's one of the reasons why I know you have as much support as you do to stay on that court, or even, as you say, if the Ohio Republican Party uh, will allow it for you to go and uh, seek the Chief Justice position. So, Justice Kennedy, I appreciate you coming on discussing judicial philosophy, your own qualifications in history, and again, just uh, how we select our judges and how the uh, voters can educate themselves, uh, since you're not allowed to run once you get past a primary on a partisan basis. So, uh, thank you so much for the education. Thanks so much for the conversation. We appreciate that, and I wish you the very best of luck. Thank you so much for your time, yours thank and you. your listeners. Thank you. May God bless you. And you as well. That's Associate Justice Sharon Kennedy. She's a Hamilton County native, and she's great. Again, a former police officer, as she pointed out, she has worked at every level almost of the judicial system, and she's a terrific justice. 954, quick time out, right back.
through downtown, through greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. All right, it's a very short segment here before the top of the hour, but I want to use it to squeeze in a phone call from Dan, who is in Cleveland. Uh, Dan, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Hey, thank you, Bob. I want to first thank you for uh, my serious subscription expired, and I was about to renew it, and I heard your show and everything else on 1420, so thanks for saving me a bunch of money because I didn't renew it. (laughs) I love that. Um, Thank you. Secondly, I want to get your thoughts on AstraZeneca. Uh, Two days ago, I was listening to Fox Business, and the doctor was being interviewed, or a doctor, and he was talking about the EU ban, and he just blatantly said, hey, you know, we're, you're going to have problems like that, so on and so forth. So, you know, just keep getting vaccinated, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the, the interviewer was questioning him, but he just, hey, jam it in your arm. Don't worry about it. Now, today, the EU has uh, gone ahead and um, authorized it. So what do you think changed? I have an opinion, but what do you think changed at the EU uh, now moving forward with that? Well, vaccine? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think too many politicians, not just in the uh, in the EU, but maybe here in the United States as well, are um, kind of under the control of the pharmaceut- pharmaceutical companies who produce these things. Don't talk bad about our drug. Uh, we will make it worth your while. And by the way, for them to just say, yeah, you're going to have some problems like that, uh, just keep going anyway. Problems like what? Blood clots in your lungs? Things that can kill you? This is the reason. Right. Now, I know we don't have have AstraZeneca here. We have the Moderna and the Pfizer and the Johnson and Johnson. Well, excuse me, they have 30 million doses in Ohio, the, the, the doctor said. Uh, are, are, they being distribu- are they being distributed? Because oh. I have not heard that that is being one of their drugs I, being being distributed. It wasn't distributed, but there were 30 million. That's what stopped me in my tracks. There were 30 Got million it. doses in Ohio. In well. closing, uh, I wanted to ask, correct me if I'm wrong, in yesteryear, you used to play uh, on your cheering um uh, when you're cheering on Rand Paul, have you ever uh, thought of getting the Cyrus from the movie Warriors? Can you dig it? I think that would be a good addition. Uh, that's what for, that for cheering was. That, that's what that's what that cheering was from, actually. And I've been playing "Can You Dig It" for 20 years on the radio. I so. thought so. I didn't hear it this morning. So <laughs> no, well, I just played the cheering version there. Thank you, my thank you for the call, Dan. I appreciate that. Uh, really good questions. A lot of questions that have to be asked and answered about the virus for everybody to make intelligent choices. We'll be back after the news.